Turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. As we continue in our series in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Um, as you know, I mean, it's our practice to stand when we, when we read God's Word. And, and lately we haven't been because the length of the chapters is sort of just there. Um, I, this is almost short enough. Uh, so if you're, if you're able, let me ask that you stand when we read God's Word together. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did, just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If He will redeem you, good. Let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. Open our ears to hear, uh, our hearts to listen and to heed, our minds to understand. Uh, but more importantly, we pray that you would be at work even in our wills, uh, that we would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I know we at least talk about uh, trusting God's providence. You know, it's amazing to me, even uh, there are people out there, you'll, you'll catch it on Twitter from time to time, you'll catch it on 
news reports and athletes um, post-game, post-draft uh, interviews. I mean, you find it all over the place. The number of people attributing to God's blessing the things going on in their lives. They understand. Even people that don't go to church even will frequently say, I, I know God's in control of this. I know God has His hand in this. All glory to God for the way this is turning out. We understand, at least to that degree, something about God's problem. We recognize that God is at work. We seem to know and understand and believe and agree with the fact that God didn't simply wind up the earth, set it down, and let it go until the little winder stops moving. But He's actually involved in His creation. He's actually bringing about, He's actually accomplishing something in His world. But there are those times when we think He needs just a little bit of help. I'm pretty sure, God, that You're in the process of doing this, so what if I, um, what if I help You out a little bit? Things aren't moving as quickly as I think they should. It's been six, eight weeks since chapter 2. There's a six or eight week gap. It was the beginning of barley harvest in chapter 2. And, and now they're at the end of the harvest and the threshing winnowing process is going on. So it's six, eight weeks later. And you know how moms can get. A little impatient. Um, a little eager. Maybe not impatient. They're just excited. They're eager for, you know, for this to come to an end. For this, whatever this is, to reach its conclusion. Naomi's convinced that Boaz and Ruth are to be married. And so she finally says, I tell you what, Ruth, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to help this process along. Here's how we're going to help God out. Because keep in mind, the one that marries Ruth doesn't get a mother-in-law. She gets Ruth's mother-in-law. He gets. Whoever marries Ruth gets, his first, gets her, gets Malon's mom. Gets her first husband's mother. There you go. It's confusing. I, see, trust me. There's a, a package deal and Naomi sort of takes matters into her hands in this passage. And there are a couple of things I want us to see. First, understanding grace changes your attitude. And understanding grace changes our actions. Naomi is plotting. It starts, The chapter starts at least with Naomi plotting to get Ruth and Boaz hitched. Now... I guess technically she doesn't say that to Ruth. I think Ruth understands what's going on. I think Ruth probably understands this is the this is the sinister plot that Naomi has going in the back of her mind. I know what my mother-in-law is trying to do, but she unveils this plan to Ruth. 
And, and I think Ruth understands what's going on, but she doesn't exactly tell her, I'm trying to get you married. It's fairly obvious. Boaz is, of course, a close redeemer. He's related to Elimelech. He's not uh, Malon's brother. So technically, this isn't one of those Deuteronomy 25 leveret marriage law deals where uh, uh, two brothers and one of them gets married and dies before they have children. It's the other brother's responsibility to, to, to take his brother's wife as his wife and provide children. The first son born would belong to the, the first husband, the, the brother. This isn't exactly that situation. It's a, a different uh, scenario, it seems. It's a, an application of that, but it's not a strict command. In fact, we find uh, later that um, it appears both Ruth and Boaz had uh, other options. Uh, we see in verse 10, uh, Boaz says, Bless are you. I mean, you've, you didn't go after young men but instead have come uh, to me. He's a close redeemer. He's um, probably on um, par with Elimelech, probably Elimelech's generation, so the generation of Ruth's father-in-law. She's, he's much older than she is. There's a significant age gap, all those sorts of things. Uh, and you get the sense that she had the freedom to go after someone else if she'd wanted to. She could have married somebody younger with a, a more likelihood of Children and, and years of, of providing for longer life ahead of him. For that matter, in verse 11, it seems like Boaz had the option of saying no. I mean, he says, I'll do what you say. There is a close redeemer, but it, you get the sense that it's optional for him. So it's not exactly the same sort of leveret law uh, issue from Deuteronomy 25. But still, Naomi says, look, this is a close redeemer. We're going to apply the principle and pursue the principle in this scenario. So here's what you're going to do. Ruth, um, get dressed up. Put on your finest perfume. Um, put on some makeup. Wear some nice clothes. And then go down to the threshing floor where Boaz will be. You might as well tell your daughter, why don't you, why don't you put on some fancy perfume and, and put on your makeup and a miniskirt and, and run down to Jimmy's and grab a midnight snack? That's, that's exactly where, that's where she's going. Remember, this is the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's, we don't know who the judge is or if there is one. This may be in the in-between time. We're not sure where we are in the book of Judges, but that's the scenario. And in those cases, that is not a place for a worthy woman to be at night. So that's Naomi's plan. Here's what we're going to do. Get all dolled up. Make yourself all nice and fancy and presentable. And go lie down at the feet of Boaz. And, but only after it's dark and only after he's gone to bed. And, and you do understand. I mean, tell me you get. This can't be a good idea. 
And there's, there's nothing about that scenario that you would want your daughter to go to. You, this is not the place you would want to send your daughter in this kind of scenario. They've eaten. They've been drinking wine. It's late at night. Go lie down at the feet of some single guy. Okay. That's the, that's the picture. That's, you need to have in your head this sort of sense of, I don't like that idea. I don't like that plan. That, can't, that plan can't possibly be a good one. Naomi wants to force Boaz's hand. She's, she's wanting to, to bring him to a place where he has to actually do something or not. He needs to sort of finally, definitively, yes, I'm going to pursue Ruth. No, I'm not. Yes, I'm going to marry Ruth. No, I'm not. She's trying to play matchmaker. Okay, ladies... I get it. We're not the brightest breed out there. We're slow. We sometimes are a little, we men, a little too methodical. We may take a little too long to do what you're just convinced is the right thing to do. We may take our time. We may be a little indecisive. Um, we might, I know, we might need a little push from time to time. Not a push, an encouragement. I'm not suggesting that Naomi's all in the wrong and that Boaz is all in the right. Here's the oddity. We actually don't know. The, cha- the book, not just this chapter, the book of Ruth never tells us. It never actually, in fact, I read two commentaries this week that took the exact opposite view of this chapter from each other. And these are people we would gladly have preach in this pulpit any Sunday, or even every Sunday, for that matter. We don't really know. We aren't given that information. Does Naomi know about the closer Redeemer like Boaz does? does Boaz, is Boaz hesitant because he knows about this closer Redeemer? And he's saying, it's not really my place. It's actually his. So technically, I can't. I got to be careful because I don't, I can't overstep those bounds. I mean, there are all sorts of questions here that this book never actually answers for us. But Naomi also has a pattern of not waiting patiently for God. You do remember why Ruth is her daughter-in-law, right? Ruth is the Moabite woman from Moab. We read in the last chapter. That's where Moabite women come from, is Moab. And, and her son had married a Moabite because that's where they went when the famine was in Bethlehem. There was a famine in their home in Israel, in Bethlehem. And so they left to a foreign country, to foreign gods, to seek provision there rather than staying in Israel where their God had promised His presence, His special presence to His people. They sought help elsewhere and only returned when she found out that the famine was over, Naomi seems to have given us reason to believe she lacks a certain amount of patience, um, a lack of, of trust in God's timing and God's power. We don't ever do that, do we? We never reach that point, do we? We don't ever, I'm so thankful that this was Naomi's issue, but not ours. 
that we never sort of reach the point where we're thinking, God, this is taking too long. I don't like your way and I don't like your timing. So let me help you out a little bit. Or get frustrated with God because things aren't going the way we think they should in the way we think they should as quickly or as slowly as we think they should. God brings about His plans among His people in His timing and in His way. Yes, it's true. He uses the means to bring those things about. He uses our involvement But maybe, just maybe, our impatience can be the means that God will use to accomplish His plans. But that doesn't excuse our impatience. That doesn't excuse our lack of trust. That doesn't excuse our frustration with God and His timing to bring about His plans. In fact, it seems there's a a pattern of even foregoing God's promises in order to bring about what we think is actually God's plan. Naomi seems to be saying, I know what God's plan is and I'm going to forego His promises in order to bring that plan about. That's never the right option. That's never the right choice. We never forego God's revealed will in order to bring about what we think He's trying to accomplish in our lives. Naomi wants to answer her own prayer, quite honestly. Look back at chapter 1 for just a second. In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Naomi says uh, to her daughters-in-law, this is at that crossroads as they're heading back to Uh, Bethlehem, leaving Moab. Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And now here in chapter 3, Naomi saying, it looks like I'm going to have to answer that prayer myself. It looks like I'm going to have to do just that. Look at verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Naomi's setting out to accomplish uh, the solution to reach the answer of her own prayer. Before understanding grace, Naomi wants to intrude. After understanding grace, Naomi wants to entrust. Look at verse 18. Look at how different... Naomi is in verse 18. The first word that she says, wait. I'm not sure she knew what that word was before now. I'm not sure the word wait was in her vocabulary until now. And now here she's, now she's saying you can trust. Boaz is going to do all that he said. Ruth, you may wait. Just wait. He's going to make it happen. He's going to bring it all about. What changed her? Well, we're we're told in verses 16 and 17. Uh, She came to her mother-in-law and said, How did you fare, my daughter? That's Naomi to Ruth. She said, uh, uh, she told her all the men, look, these six measures of barley. So, upwards of 80 pounds of barley? That's not, I mean, it's two women. Okay. 
Sometimes guys get a little flustered around females. Sometimes guys act a little awkward, a little fumbly, a little bumbly, a little stumble over their words. They kind of do some goofy things. That, that happens sometimes when guys get around women. I, I think there's something to that here. I think there's something about the way Boaz said, you can't go home empty-handed. Here, here's 80 pounds of barley for you to carry home. I think he got a little, a little clumsy, a little awkward. He's got a little tingly and, and just wasn't really sure. And he's like, oh, I love this woman. And here, take some barley, but it's infinitely more barley than you could possibly need or want. You do realize Naomi left Bethlehem full and returned empty. That's what she, those were her words in chapter 1. Naomi left Bethlehem and went to Moab. When she left Bethlehem, she was full. And when she got back to Bethlehem, she was empty. Naomi watched this night as her daughter-in-law left empty. Came home full. That's grace. That's the picture of God's grace in our lives. That's the very essence of grace. Did you notice what we read in Ephesians 1 just a few minutes ago? That God has blessed you with eh, a couple, you got some blessings in the heavenly places. That's not, that's not what it says. Blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's, this is the picture of, of grace in their lives. This is the picture of grace in our own. God has done overwhelmingly more than you and I certainly deserve. Even than we think we even need. All that He's given, He's lavished His grace and His goodness on us. Just as Boaz says here, just take all of this. You can't go home empty-handed. You have to have something for your mother-in-law. Here, take all of this. That's the essence of grace. So committed to the church is Christ that every spiritual blessing is ours because of our union with Him. What do those blessings look like? Well, at the very least, they look like our justification. We're, we have been freed from the penalty of sin. In our sanctification, we're being, being, being freed from the power of sin. And we anticipate glorification. That day when we are fully and finally freed even from the very presence of sin. Our understanding of grace changes our attitude. As we grow in grace, God grows our trust in His power, His purposes, His plans for us and through us in His world. Understanding grace changes our attitudes. But understanding grace also changes our actions. You know, it's, it's easy. 
and this this may even be a particular Presbyterian sin. It's easy for us to look down on on those who have weaker faith or those who are newly converted or recently converted or who lack understanding through lack of teaching or training or study or opportunity. It's, it can be easy for us to get frustrated with people who we think ought to know better. Well, that's not what Boaz does in this passage. Look at verses 7 to 9. Boaz had eaten, drunk, his heart was merry, went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then Ruth comes and softly uncovers his feet to lie down. At midnight, you, you get the sense he's, he's startled. Um, he, he wakes up sort of with a start. My feet are cold. It's, I just suddenly woke up. This, something's weird. And there's somebody at my feet. Who are you? You sort of get the sense that she's scared the life out of him, quite honestly, as one would expect. And then in verse 9, Who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth just proposed to Boaz. That's proposal language. That's... Um, you get this in, in uh, Ezekiel 16, I think it is. Uh, it's, it's the language of, would you spread your wings to cover me and take me under your care and your protection? She just proposed to Boaz. It, it wouldn't have been completely inappropriate for him to say, now you know that that's not proper. You know that that's really not the way things are supposed to work. I mean, technically, that's true. And technically, he could have corrected her and he could have even lovingly and kindly done so. But that's not at all what he does. Rather than correct her, he cares for her. I've had um, this chapter just makes me sing Wake Up Little Susie. The movie, it wasn't so hot, didn't have much of a plot. We fell asleep, our goose is cooked, our reputation is shot. We're watching this movie together, we're on this date, we fell asleep, and now it's ridiculous o'clock in the morning and everybody's going to start talking about us. Notice Boaz goes to great lengths to protect her reputation. He goes to great lengths to make sure that her and their reputations are not shot. We're told in verse 11, she's a, a worthy woman. Boaz is described as a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, the word um, sort of carries with it the notion of, of might or strength or wealth or force. Um, it has to do, in fact, it's actually used in Proverbs 31 of the godly woman. Um, it has to do with character. It describes uh, godly character. Incidentally, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth comes right after Proverbs 31. So you get Proverbs end with, here's the picture of a godly woman. And then the Hebrew Bible goes, well, now here's another picture of a godly woman. Here's an example. We call her Ruth. Both of them are, are noble. They're worthy people. They're people of good character. And Boaz um, reinforces that. Verses 13 and 14. 
She goes away, but notice he made sure that she left before anybody could recognize people. No rumors. No word going around that Ruth is a floozy. That Ruth is just out there at the threshing floor throwing herself at people. He makes sure she's provided for, she's cared for uh, in, with food, but also He commits to her. We see His commitment to her. I will do all that you've asked. In fact, I will do it tomorrow. When the sun comes up in the morning, if this other Redeemer doesn't want you, then so be it. I will make sure that all you've asked is exactly what happens. Ruth, I mean, Boaz understood grace and we see it in his commitment to Ruth. But we also see it in his commitment to the law. Because in verse 12, he says, technically, I'm not the close redeemer. And if we're going to apply the principle of this leveret marriage idea, then technically, it's Billy Bob's job. We don't know. We're not told his name. We're going to call him Billy Bob. We never find out his name. It's his place. It's his role. He has first right of refusal. And Boaz is unwilling to usurp that right just to do what he wants to do. Just to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The closer Redeemer has the first right of of refusal. And if he is is willing to to take Ruth, to marry Ruth and, and redeem her, then so be it. You know it takes great character. A well-dressed, nice-smelling, made-up woman shows up at your bed and sleeps at your feet and you wake up at midnight in pitch black dark and discover her there. The character it takes to say... Here, here's some food. You better leave while it's still dark. You know Boaz is proving that he's a worthy man. Rather than run headlong into sin, he guards and protects his and her reputations. Boaz cares more about God's glory and Ruth's character than his own temporary pleasure. And that too is grace. We would do well to learn to recount stories of God's overwhelming grace in our lives. We would do well to actually sit around and tell stories of God's faithfulness to us, even despite our sin, of His faithfulness to Christ, His Son, for accomplishing our salvation of His faithfulness to His Word, to His revealed will, of His faithfulness to His providence, His plan, His purposes in our lives, even when things don't go the way we want them to, we would do well to sit around and recount those stories and remind ourselves, even in the face of our doubts, even in the face of our frustrations, that God is absolutely at work in His creation, in our lives, in His world. We experience God's grace 
His grace changes us. His grace changes our attitudes. It changes our actions. He uses the means of grace, the Word, sacraments, prayer, fellowship with other believers to encourage us in the faith, to strengthen our faith in His sovereignty, in His providence, in His purposes in this world. Oh, that He might strengthen our faith. Oh, that He might... That as we... As we recount glimpses, just small tastes of His providence in our lives, He would strengthen our faith and trust in His wisdom and in His plan. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your promise of work in our hearts and in our minds, that You promise to strengthen our faith. You promise to use these means of grace, of communicating Your grace to us as Your Word is read and proclaimed in our hearing. As we pray to You and and together with each other, as we celebrate the sacraments together, as we fellowship together, Father, we pray that stories of Your grace would fall from our lips. We pray that You would deepen and strengthen our confidence in Your plan. Grant us the wisdom to know when to get involved and when not. When to wait and when to act. And Father, we pray that You would pour out Your grace on us. Through Christ, we pray. Amen.